overkings is they think of a man in terms of a leader and their legacy. Kind of a topic we're going to hit this morning, thinking of leadership and the kinds of legacy that leaders leave behind. And I think of Lincoln, I think of a man who's going to have an incredible legacy. Even the trailer itself will end with a line that says this, uh, that this will settle the fate for all coming time, not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Obviously, for Lincoln, his legacy will be forever attached to the ending of the Civil War and the ending and abolishing of slavery as well. But you think of Lincoln and you think about a leader whose legacy only got larger in his absence than it did in his presence. A leader whose legacy and whose impact will be measured more greatly by the moment, the farther we get from his death than it was when he was present. A leader whose legacy will only grow further and further in his absence than it did even in his presence as he was leading. And I've been thinking more and more about this topic of leadership this semester. Lincoln was a guy that if you've seen anything, uh, if you saw the movie or if you've read anything about him, he was a man that was really portrayed as a man that was kind of reserved, a little bit awkward, uh, almost unstately. And yet no one would have measured, no one would have realized the indomitable force he would have had on our nation and on human history from that moment forward. No one could have, would have ever imagined that this particular gentleman would have had this kind of legacy. And it only begs the question about leaders and their legacies. Where we're going to go this morning, looking at a passage in Acts chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, is looking at that very topic, leadership and the legacy that leaders leave behind. I'll tell you guys, in many ways, as we think about leadership, I think there are many of us that may think to ourselves immediately, hey, I'm not really the kind of the leadership type. I'm more of a teammate guy. I'm more of a follower guy. I'm, I'm more of one who doesn't necessarily have to be in command or be directing things. And what I want to do this morning and many, uh, many things that we may try to do this morning is I want to try to redefine and recast your image of a leader. I want to redefine that in such a way that you realize that you are a leader, whether you are on the top of a team or whether you are a teammate within a team. And it doesn't matter how you're wired. It doesn't matter how you're gifted. We each have the potential to have influence and to lead. And it's going to look different for each and every one of us. But particularly where I want to go and where I want to meddle this morning as we look at Acts chapter 20 is this, that much of what we think great leaders look like, much of what we think great leaders and their legacies will look like really could not be farther from the truth. I want to give you a sense from Acts 20 this morning and even uh, some texts and some quotes outside of the scriptures, really uh, looking even in the business world. I want to show you what great leaders look like. And I want to show you the kinds of legacies that great leaders leave behind. And I will promise you this, what we're going to find and what you're going to see is going to look really different than what our culture has shaped and how our culture has defined leadership. Acts 20 really will show us a picture and a glimpse of a leader that may look far more like you and me than it does many of the leaders that we look up to, that we adore, and that we try to model. If you've ever been in that place or you've thought to yourself, I don't know if I'm really a kind of a leader, then this is the passage for you, right? Or even if you are a leader, even if you see yourself to be a leader, let me challenge you. I think Acts 20 is going to give you a different sense of the priorities and even the personality of a leader. As we jump into this text this morning, I want to kind of answer one basic question for us. What do leaders do and who are leaders that leave the largest kinds of legacies? The greatest leaders and the greatest legacies that they leave behind, who are they and what are some of the typical behaviors they have? What do they do and who are they? And as we look at their behaviors and as we look at their personality traits, I think what we're going to find is something that's so different than what many of us may expect and what many of us may be looking for and even anticipating, which is why so many of us at times think that we are not leaders, all right? That's where Acts 20 is going to take us. And so if you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 17. And as we jump into this, I'm going to give you guys really, I think, the first behavior of great leaders and the legacies that they leave behind. And that's this. The great leaders that leave great legacies behind are those that often always set up successors. The greatest of leaders that leave the largest of legacies are those that always set up successors behind them. 
They are more concerned with what's going on behind them when they depart than what's going on with them and through them when they are present. Notice Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. Our text tells us, Luke says that from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to them, he said to them, you yourselves know, and he goes on, but what I want to do is give you guys the, the beginning of this passage and the very end of it. And so look with me, if you will, verses 37 and 38. And they began to weep aloud and they embraced Paul, verse 37, and they repeatedly kissed him. Verse 38, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him to the ship. This is Paul's last moment with the church of Ephesus. This is frankly one of his last moments with the ministry that he had been a part of in this region of the world. And what I want you guys to see is in this last moment, what is his priority? In this last moment, is he trying to get in front of as many people as he can to have one last moment in front of them? Or does he do something different? Actually, he does something quite different. He actually chooses, says, hey, show me, bring to me the elders. I want to have a word just with a few people. In fact, if you think about even Second uh, Timothy, the last letter that Paul will write, he, the last letter, the last word he has, the last time he can pin correspondence, he doesn't pin it to a church, but he pins it to one individual one protege, one person that will come behind him. Because I think Paul realized something about leadership that I think so many of us miss. And that's this, that the impact that one can have on a few is far larger than the impact that one can have on many. Great leaders make a market impact on a few and not necessarily on many. Great leaders realize that there's a greater priority. There's a greater impact they can have on investing their lives in a few people than investing their lives in as many as possible. Great leaders that leave the largest legacies leave it behind on a basis of a few people that they've invested their life in on. Like notice what the text will say uh, in verse uh, 17, not just that they call the leaders to them, but one of the things I want you guys to see is as Paul is preparing to leave, this is his departure speech. And one of the things I think Paul realizes is not just that leaders have leaders that leave legacies have an impact on a few, but leaders that leave legacies have an impact more in their absence than in their presence. The leaders that leave the greatest legacies were planning for, and they realize that the greatest impact that they can have is not in their presence, but will come in their absence. Think about Abraham Lincoln. He was a man whose legacy only got larger by his absence, and not just because he was assassinated, but it got all the larger because he left behind something that was maintainable, right? Uh, He's going to have a fragile union that will come together. He's going to end and abolish slavery, and it will hold because he left behind something that would hold. I think many leaders build things completely around themselves so that when they depart, everything falls flat because it was built completely around them. But the greatest of leaders that leave the largest of legacies realize that the impact they can have will be far larger in their absence than in their presence. And that is absolutely counterintuitive for us. And yet this is why I think Paul was taking great effort to ensure that there were those that could come behind him because he wanted to be marked more by those that came behind him than by himself. He wanted to be marked more by the contribution of those that he would leave behind than by the contribution that he had himself, which is why great leaders often go unrecognized, all right? The greatest of leaders that have the largest of legacies are often those that go completely unrecognized. One of my favorite quotes says, often the crowd doesn't recognize a leader until he is gone. And then they build a monument for him with a stone they threw at him in his life, all right? Often the greatest of leaders are not those that are interviewed, those that are known, those that are seen as a model for leadership. The leaders that leave the largest legacies are often completely unknown. They're unknown. Their names are not prevalent. Their names are not famous. They are not the center of all mass media and understanding and publication. The greatest of leaders who leave legacies that are the largest are those that are not so concerned about the impact they have in their presence, 
but are looking more toward the day in which they will be absent. And the question is, what will continue on? And that is why the leaders that leave the best legacies are those that are constantly looking to set up their successors. They're constantly looking to hand things off in the next generation, which is why Paul will say in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was constantly looking at not just the next generation, but even the generation thereafter. Paul realized that his legacy and his impact would be marked far more by his absence and in his absence than it would be by his presence. The greatest contribution that he could provide to what God was doing in and through him was not by what he would do himself in his time, but by those that he would leave behind. So he's constantly looking to set up successors that would come later. The greatest leaders are not those that are interviewed and have autobiographies about them now. One of those kinds of leaders was a man named uh, Lee Iacocca. He was the chairman and CEO of Chrysler back in the day. Back in the day, Chrysler, the organization, uh, was actually at the brink of bankruptcy. And Lee Iacocca brought it from bankruptcy all the way to the place where, in the middle of his reign as CEO, it was running at about three times the market average in terms of how well it was doing. All right, Lee Iacocca would bring Chrysler from the brink of bankruptcy all the way to three times the national average for other car industry companies. All right incredible feat as a leader, incredible feat. And at that point in time, he would begin to become a, an icon of leadership, all right? He would go on a radio, TV shows, talk shows. He would make 80 commercials, all right? He would have an autobiography written about him that would sell 7 million copies. He became iconic as what a good leader looks like. What's fascinating, though, is in the second term of his reign, the second half of it, Chrysler would go from three times the national average uh, of the car industry in terms of its profit to well below 30% of the national average. <laughs> Something switched in his leadership, and all of a sudden the switch came to seeing Chrysler begin to fade and dip from the prominence in the car industry, all right? What happened? It's interesting, I think, for Chrysler, their impact and Lee Iacocca's impact was not just in the second half of his term, but would come even after he retired. Because he would not retire, right? Even as the company was struggling, even as they were saying, hey, you need to think of a successor as you get older, he refused to put anyone else in power. He was so confident of his own abilities that he almost sank the ship completely. In fact, some began to say that uh, Iacocca's uh, name was an acronym that stood, I, that stood for I am the uh, chairman of Chrysler Corporation always, all right? Because he would not look toward a day in which he would one day be absent, he would not look toward a day in which he would one day have a successor that would follow him because he did not raise up a successor. Chrysler floundered toward the dark days of the end of his reign and even his absence. And we would flounder to such an extent that would eventually push him toward retirement and then he would try a hostile takeover of Chrysler in his retirement, all right? It was not a good situation. Lee Iacocca was never looking to a day in which he would be absent. He was only looking to the day that he was present, which is why his legacy of the leader was incredibly tarnished. That's not what you want to be as a leader. It's not what you want to follow. That's not the model you want to adopt. Uh, on the flip side of that, another CEO says this about his own reign as CEO and what he was looking forward to. says, I want to be able to look out for my porch at one of the great companies in the world someday and be able to say, I used to work there. <laughs> Completely different contrasting CEO with a different vision for the future and his impact as a leader would say this, here's what I want one day, to work myself out of a job and to look upon a company that I was a part of but is carrying on and continuing on after me way better than it, when it was with me, right? Uh, completely different frame of point as a CEO, completely different frame and vision as a leader, one who was looking at their impact in their absence and one who was building something that was completely revolving around them in their presence. The greatest of leaders that leave the largest of legacies are those that leave something behind them when they depart. 
One of the things I want to turn and ask you guys this morning is this. And your time here at Texas A&M or at Blinn, a day is going to come. It may be four years from now. It may be six years from now when you leave. I don't know how long it's going to take, all right? But eventually you guys will leave, all right? And the question I have for you guys is, what is your concern and what is your heartbeat? Is your concern and your heartbeat for this time here, however brief or long it may be, is your concern what you can take out of here? What you can gain as you depart, a diploma, hopefully a spouse, hopefully, right? Uh, a job one day, a, a padded resume one day. Is your f- complete concern and focal point what you can take as you depart? Or is your concern and your vision as a leader and as one who can have influence what you will leave behind when you depart? And the greatest thing that you can leave behind when you depart ultimately are individuals. One of the first questions I want to ask you guys this morning is, as you, maybe you're a senior now. Maybe you're a sophomore, but you're looking toward a day that you will eventually be out of here. No one thinks that they want to live here in College Station, right? That's our lot. (laughs) All right. Um, uh, So you guys are looking at a day that you'll depart. And my question is, what are you going to leave behind? I know what it is that you hope that you'll have when you depart. But my question, I'm going to flip it around and ask this is, what is it you're going to leave behind when you depart? Who is it that you're going to raise up? Who is it that you're going to leave behind that will continue on the very things that God's been doing in your life? The very things that God maybe has given you a passion for, maybe it's an organization, maybe it's a cause, maybe it's something even in the church, maybe it's just something on campus. The greatest impact that you will have, the greatest legacy that you can leave behind is not in what you can contribute in this day and time while you're present. The greatest thing that you can contribute is what will happen when you take off. Your legacy will be marked more by your absence than by your presence. And that is the mark of great leaders. That's the vision of great leaders. That's the behavior of great leaders who leave large legacies, looking at what they will leave behind. I think the great challenge for so many of us as we walk through college, and maybe it's not happening freshman year, but it begins to happen junior year and senior year, is we try to do everything for everyone. There are some of you guys that have schedules that are absolutely maxed out to minute to minute as to what you got to do to where you got to be, and you don't get to relax because you're so invested in stuff throughout the entirety of your week. Let me just say, for those that are trying to be everything for everyone and doing everything, realize that the impact you can have with many pairs in comparison to the impact that you can have on a few. I think for so many of us, we want to be everything for everyone and we want to have the largest impact that we can possibly have, but it's counterintuitive that the reality is the greatest impact and the greatest legacy you can leave behind is not what you do for everything and everyone and every organization. The greatest impact you can have is what you do for a few people and who you build your life into. And maybe that's in the context of the church. Maybe that's in the context of a campus organization. It can look different wherever you step. But the greatest leaders build their lives into a few that they leave behind as they take off. That's my heartbeat for you guys, that you will have that kind of vision. And here's what's fascinating, though. In order to have that kind of vision, in order to lead in that kind of way, something has to be true of your character. To not build everything around you that it hangs and it supports and it builds your ego up. To be able to build your life into those that will come behind you that you may one day work yourself out of a job means that it's not about you, but it's about something else, right? The greatest leaders that really build something giant that can never leave it behind is because they've built something that's giant that's all built around them because for them, it is a way to prop their ego up. They're horribly insecure. And so everything has to be about them. And they don't build something that can go on beyond them. And so what we see over and over again is that the greatest leaders who leave the greatest legacies behind, they don't just raise up successors, but they are ultimately humble people. They're humble people. 
There's a humility and a consistency about their character that we often don't see in the greatest leaders that we often uh, market, that we advertise, that we think of today. Notice where the text will go next. It says in verse 18, And when he had come to them, he said to the elders, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility. Here's what marked Paul as a leader. He was incredibly humble, incredibly humble. It wasn't about him, and so he built something that could go on beyond him. One of uh, my most favorite books that I've read in the last decade is a book called Good to Great. It was actually released back in 2001, so it's a little bit dated. And yet it has a, a glimpse at companies, business companies that go from good to great. And it begins to analyze the behavioral patterns of those organizations and particularly the behavioral patterns of those leaders. And it looks for discussions and trying to distinguish what makes some companies just plateau at good and what makes some companies take off from good to phenomenal and great where they dominate the marketplace. And one of the things they found in the uh, personality and the uh, makeup of those CEOs was something that was really, really interesting. This is what he says about those kinds of CEOs. Jim Collins, the author of that book, says this. Compared to high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, i.e. Lee Iacocca, (laughs) the good to great leaders seem to come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy, these leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. They are more like Lincoln and Socrates than they are Patton or Caesar. Man, that's fascinating to me. I'll tell you guys, as I think more about leadership, even personally for myself, I will tell you, I am not a domineering, commanding personality, all right? I'm not. In fact, in many ways, I've thought, uh, and it's, for me, it's been an issue of well, what is my capability in leading? Should I even be a leader at all? Because I don't feel like I'm wired in the kinds of ways that I feel like we see and we laud those leaders that are in our culture, whether it's sports or whether it's business. I'm not a Caesar, all right? I'm not a Patton. I'm not a head-charged, domineering guy that steps into a room and just owns the room, all right? That's not who I am. That's not how God has wired me to be. And so this book really, for me, has been revolutionary to realize that the leaders, though, that leave the largest legacies are not necessarily wired that way. All right, I, I'm not a spiritual version of Kevin Sumlin, all right? I just see that guy, and I just think I would run through a wall for him. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, just is just domineering, right? Steps off a maroon helicopter in a high school game, and everyone wants to re- be recruited for A&M, right? They're all in, right? In that moment, all right? Uh, there are those kinds of leaders, and I feel like Sumlin is that kind, right? But I think there's another mold of leader, though, that I want you guys to see, even from the text this morning, that I think may fit far more of us, Right? Those leaders can have an incredible impact, but if they are unwilling to build something that doesn't rest entirely around them, then they will fail over time. The leaders, though, who can build something that is not all about them, but is built beyond them, are those that have an incredible humility so that they can let go, all right? That's what Collins is going to say, looking in business, that even in business, all right, the leaders that can make companies go from good to great are going to build something that's not all about them because there's a personal humility that's true in their character and their personality. They're wired in a certain kind of way. And that's great, all right? Notice the text will say that they will serve the Lord with all humility. But what I want, to, what I want you guys to see about Paul particularly is this. Two things. His character was clear to his people. He says, you yourselves know. There's no argument that anyone could make in the church of Ephesus is about who Paul was. They knew him inside and out. He says, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. I I love that verse because I think it gives you a little sense as to the nature of Paul's leadership, right? He was a guy who had showed up and didn't just serve with humility, but he showed up and he revealed his life in a way where it was absolutely clear who he was. Not just that it was clear, but it was clear because it was also consistent. There was a Paul that was on stage and there was a Paul that was off stage, all right? 
There was a Paul that was in extraordinary moments and a Paul that was in ordinary moments. And whether it was extraordinary or, or ordinary or on stage or off stage, it was the same Paul. There was a consistency about his life when people were watching and when people were not watching. It was the same man. In fact, one of the things we see in these kinds of leaders is that there's a consistency and a humility about them that they can build something that's not about them, all right? In fact, one of my favorite quotes uh, back in the book, Good to Great, uh, there's a, uh, he, he details the, the role of another company named Nucor, and a man named uh, Ken Iverson, who's a CEO, and a board member is speaking of the CEO, and this is what he says about him. I think this is fascinating. It says, Ken, the CEO, is a very modest and humble man. I've never known a person as successful in doing what he's done that is as modest. And I work for a lot of CEOs of large companies, and it's true in his private life as well. The simplicity of him. I mean, little things like he always gets his dogs at the local pound. (laughs) What? All right. Uh, He has a simple house that he's lived in for ages. He only has a carport, and he complained to me one day that he had to use his credit card to scrape the frost off his windows, and he broke the credit card. I said, you know, Ken, there's a solution for it. It's it's called enclose your carport. He said, ah, it's just not that big of a deal. The reality is he described the guy as someone who was humble and simple. The greatest leaders who leave the largest legacies possess a consistency and humility about them. Uh, Whether it's in the boardroom or it's in the bedroom, they are the same people. Whether they are walking their dog or they're walking a client through a multi-million dollar deal, it's the same person. There's a consistency and a humility about those kinds of leaders that goes from those onstage moments to those offstage moments. From those moments when everyone's watching to those moments when no one's watching, there's a humility and a consistency about their character. And for the Apostle Paul, it was evident by the way that he lived his life with these people. They saw every arena of his life. He had given them access and he was real and he was vulnerable and he opened his life up and they saw who he was. What I want to ask you guys this morning really is this. Are you the same person? when people are watching and they're not. There's a story even this week that broke of a woman who was in the state of New York and she was driving behind a Brinks truck, okay? Uh, I don't know if you ever had these moments where you just dream something that, and you begin to fantasize that something wild could happen. You kind of begin to think, what would you do? Well, she was actually thinking to herself, what would happen if the doors just flew open and money started coming out? They hit a speed bump and the doors fly open, all right? Money starts coming out, starts flying out. She stops her car. She's gathering as much as she can. And then she calls 911 to report the issue so that Brinks doesn't lose any more money, right? Here's a woman who, when uh, she had incredible advantage, could have taken advantage and just flown the coop with $11,000, all right? But when people were watching or when they were not watching, she has a kind of character that was consistent and she walks that thing out in a way that was awesome. She's going to be praised for that moment and, and Brinks will end up giving an incredible contribution to a charity of her, of her choosing. But she was the same person, not just in that extraordinary moment, but I suspect she was the same person even in ordinary moments. No one responds in that extraordinary way unless they're responding in that same consistent way even in ordinary moments when no one's watching. If you're going to be the kind of leader that leaves a legacy that's large after your absence, you have to be the kind of individual that has a consistency of humility in every arena of their life. I want to ask you simply, who are you behind closed doors? Who are you behind closed doors? When no one's watching, when it's just you and the internet, when it's just you uh, and someone and an individual or whatever, whatever the situation is, whether it's you even in school or with a test, when you have that moment and that crisis of integrity as to what you're going to do, how do you respond? Are you the same person when no one's watching as you are when everyone's watching? Who are you? Because the leaders that leave the greatest legacies are those whose lives are not marked by the stain of character flaws. 
It's interesting. I think our culture is as engaged and as excited about building people's egos up to make them celebrities as they are about revealing their character flaws that then have their celebrity status crashing, right? People love to applaud Tiger Woods. And then they love to applaud his failure of character and see him just crash, right? Our culture even loves to do this today. Uh, people love to applaud Lance Armstrong, and now they've taken great joy in seeing that, right, that star come crashing down, right? It's not just athletics. It's politicians. It's preachers, right? It's every arena of life. Uh, you may be incredibly capable and skilled, but you cannot get away from character. Character will be the determiner of your legacy and not your skill set. You may be incredibly gifted, you may be incredibly smart, you may be incredibly able to do a task. And you may be applauded for that in a day that will come when you graduate, as you step into an industry, and you may revolutionize that industry. But if your character cannot catch up to your skills, your legacy will be forever stained by that character failure. Do not buy into the belief that your legacy is marked by your skills, because it's always going to be marked by your character far more than your skills. Do not let your skills run out ahead of what your character is, which is why it's incredibly important. Who are you when no one's watching? Because when everyone's watching you in whatever skill that you're great at and however you've been gifted, if your character falls behind, that legacy will come crashing down. It happens for athletes, it happens for politicians, it happens for preachers, it happens for everyone in any realm of life. Do not let your skills run way out ahead of your character. May your character always be the anchor to those skills so that you also remember you're humble, right? It's really interesting as you watch through this that it's not just that these leaders, as you look at Paul here, were humble. It wasn't about me. And so one would begin to think that maybe they're weak, right? <laughs> these kinds of people, that it's not all about them. They're not domineering. They're not commanding. They're not enforcing. And so the, the consensus becomes, well, maybe they're weak. Maybe they're pushovers. And the third thing that I think I want, to, want you guys to see, we go back to their character, is this, that the leaders that leave the largest legacies are not just humble, but they are incredibly courageous. They are incredibly courageous. They're not just a pushover. They are incredibly courageous at the same time. In fact, back to uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Um, actually, we'll come back to that in a minute. One of the first things I want you guys to see, though, is uh, ultimately one of the first ways this manifests itself in terms of the courage of these leaders is back to verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, right? Tears. Why does he say Tears feels a little awkward to me, to be perfectly honest, all right? Why does he have to talk about tears? And I want to remind you guys back to the scene in verse 37. Notice what Paul is dealing with these elders who were all men, all right? This is a big guy fest right now, okay? Verse 37, they began to weep aloud, all right? They're wailing, all right? They embrace Paul, a lot of physical touch, all right? And they are repeatedly kissing him. What in the Sam Hill is going on, all right? Grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, all right? Incredible emotional display here, right? From men, right? <laughs> what is going on, all right? I think one of the things I want to say, this is kind of a brief aside. This is kind of furry, okay? To you gentlemen, I think you and I have bought into a lie that says this. Lack of emotion is courage. Lack of emotion is strength. And one of the things I want you guys to see from the text this morning is this. Lack of emotion is not courage at all. It's fear, the inability to be emotionally accessible, the inability to actually have a feeling, that is not strength whatsoever, all right? And the greatest leaders have a depth of emotion that really, for any of us, is challenging, right? I, I think back to moments where we've been at a chick flick and someone sees me glaze, right? And I'm like, like hey, I saw you glaze. I'm like, step off because we're about to throw down because, uh-uh, right? I, I start to bow up, right? Because... Ain't no one saying I was crying at nothing, right? So, uh, or, or thinking about the guy who, who says, not just that you hurt my feelings, but he says you hurt my feelings. Like he has one feeling, right? Like, what is that about, all right? And one of the things I want to say to you guys, to you gentlemen, all right? 
Lack of emotion, all right? That is not courage. That is not strength. And the day that you get married, you'll realize that as well. It's not going to work in marriage, all right? Lack of emotion, lack of emotional accessibility, lack of emotional expression, that is not strength whatsoever. For Paul and for the elders in Ephesus, you have an incredibly emotional display, and it's not just randomly put in here, all right? I think it's a part of their courage, a part of who they were as men and as leaders. And gentlemen, let me say to you, hey, where are you in that arena? Are you a guy that's so guarded emotionally that you cannot show yourself and show it a feeling and show a concern and show a stress? Does it have to seem all buttoned up and seem like an incredible force of strength? The leaders that leave the largest legacies are those that show a courage and a depth of emotion that, that, frankly, from our culture, we've seen completely ripped out of what it looks like to be masculine and what it looks like to be a leader, all right? That is a move in the wrong direction, all right? But they weren't just courageous emotionally. I think they were also courageous in adversity. Notice the text goes on. Paul will say, verse uh, 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and then with trials. It wasn't just that they were courageous emotionally, but they were also courageous in adversity, okay? And so he says, with trials, and notice that the depth of the trials, through the plots of the Jews and how I did not shrink back. I did not shrink back. I was courageous. I continued to press forward even in adversity. There was a strength about him that was paired with his humility. And he goes on and says, I, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a depth of emotion that was true in his courage, but there was also an ability to handle adversity. All right. I've told you guys this story before, but uh, a few years ago, we were on a hike, all right, and we started to scale a mountain, and instead of taking the switchbacks and kind of going horizontally up the mountain, uh, my friends decided that what they wanted to do was just go straight straight up, all right? So we just blazed our own trail, and we're about 10 minutes into it, and I am hating life, all right? In fact, I am hating life, but the, the cabin is still visible, all right, at this point in time, which is never a good place, right? You got pain as it winking, you want to quit, the uh, the ability to return and see in a cabin. I began to fantasize all the things I could be doing instead of suffering on this hike, all right? And so I began to, began to, began to complain and began to kind of try to get my, my way and weasel out of this thing. And at one point, I may have said to my friends, one of the things you need to know about me is I have a lot of quit in me, all right? So uh, that wasn't my most glorious moment, all right, on a hike. But here's the deal. Every single one of us has those areas in our life, right? Where there are certain areas in each of our lives where we can handle a lot of adversity, right? And then there's other arenas of our life that we do not do well with adversity, right? One of the things I love about Paul here, what you'll see is you see his model even through the book of Acts is that the greatest leaders who leave the greatest legacies are courageous even in adversity. Not in a little hike that means nothing, all right? At least that's what I told my friends, right? Uh, but in the moments that are critical and the moments that are significant, they, they persevere and they press forward no matter what the majority says. No matter what the majority says, no matter what the culture is saying, when it gets difficult, they continue to press forward because the leaders that leave the largest legacies have a force of strength internally that continues to move them through external constraints and external obstacles. They persevere even in adversity and not just in adversity, but even in uncertainty. Notice where Paul goes next. He says in verse 22, and now behold, bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. And even in uncertainty, Paul pressed forward and showed courage. I think for many of you guys, maybe you're in your senior year and you have no idea what's around the corner. It's spring of your senior year and you have no idea what's around the corner, right? It's a whole different picture than the fall, right? Uh, and one of the things I want to say to you guys again is, hey, that those are the moments that define you and that shape you and show uh, to those that are watching what kind of metal do you have? 
Do you trust the Lord even when you cannot see? Again, even when I talked about dating a couple weeks ago, it's why I think dating can be a great spot because it is an uncertain process that shows your strength of character to walk with the Lord in faith of what you cannot see ahead. All Paul could see ahead was one prophecy that the Spirit said, you're going to be shackled and in chains. That's fun, right? Uh, And yet, even in that uncertainty, he continued to press forward. He continued to move forward because he was courageous, incredibly humble, but also incredibly courageous. The last thing I want you guys to see about the Apostle Paul in terms of this arena of courage is this. Notice the way that he speaks of, I think what he's speaking of in terms of insecurity in verse 24. It says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. It's interesting. As Paul would look at his ministry and as he'd look at his life, he'd look at it as something that had been entrusted to him from God. I think he was a man that was incredibly secure, which is why I think he was incredibly humble. Those that are insecure are those that cannot walk in humility because they're so concerned as to whether they're valuable or not. Insecure leaders make horrible leaders. <laughs> leaders who have to have something that proves to them their worth and, and builds their ego up are the kinds of leaders that will not leave anything behind. And frankly, are the kinds of leaders that really cannot open their hands up and allow, things, allow God to do way more than they could ever do. The Apostle Paul was a leader who had his security answered once and for all in what Jesus Christ had done. That Jesus had died for him and because of that moment had expressed to him a sense of grace and a sense of love and value that could be expressed nowhere else. And that truly is the beauty of the gospel. What Jesus has done and said to you and I that I love you so much that even though you're hostile to me, even though you'll promise me that you won't do anything for me, even in that moment, I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to lay my life down so that you can have life. I'm going to lay my life down so that instead of guilt, you can have freedom and forgiveness. And I'm going to lay my life down so that you can find freedom from all your struggles. What Christ has done in the gospel for you and I is that he settled the issue of our security and our value once and for all. That's the beauty of the gospel. That not just that God created us, but that God would come to redeem us. That he loves us to that extent and he answers the question of our security and our value and our significance in a way that nothing else, no one else, no task and no office of leadership can ever answer. Ever can answer. And the leaders that lead best are the leaders that realize that their security has been established and nothing they can do as a leader and no way that they can fail as a leader will ever undermine their sense of security and significance. It's incredibly easy to say. (laughs) It's incredibly difficult to believe, all right? I'll tell you guys, that that for me is an issue I've had since college, all right? Insecurity for me has always been a challenge. And it doesn't matter how I perform. It doesn't matter how I do. I think for every single one of us, we test our value and our significance by what everyone else thinks and how well we do. And as we continue in that pattern, we will never be able to let go and trust for God to do something way larger and way longer in our lives and through our lives than anything that we could ever accomplish ourselves. And as we're holding on and as we're trying to show to people that we are valuable and we are significant, what we will be a part of and what God can do through our lives will always be far smaller than what he can do and what he will do when we say, you know what, I'm securing you. No matter what happens, no matter how well things go, my value is in you and so you do with things however you please. The leaders that leave the largest legacies are those that are not secure. They're able to hand things over because they're humble and they realize that God has answered their security once and for all. And so because of that, because they do not have to protect self, they are courageous because they have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. I want to ask you guys this morning, what are you ambitious about? 
Do you trust ambition? Are you passionate for something? It's interesting, uh, even in our small groups this week, we were looking at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and Paul writes, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. This is interesting. This is spiritual leadership within the life of the church. This is a, Paul saying that whoever wants to lead in the church, if that is their desire, it is a good thing. I think for so many of us who have been in the church for so long, we've bought into the idea that ambition is bad. We've bought into the idea that ambition is bad, that it's not a good thing that we would be ambitious. And the issue is, not that ambition is bad, but the issue is, what are you ambitious for? Is your ambition to drive your own sense of ego and value up? Or is your ambition to invest your life in something that will go on beyond you, and therefore it's not about you? It's interesting, the leaders that leave the largest legacies are those that are courageous, and therefore they fight the right fights. Um, we're going to see it in that in a minute. But uh, back to good to great, Jim Collins will say this. It's not that the good to great leaders have no ego or self-interest. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious. But their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not themselves. Their ambition is not about driving their own agenda, their ego, and their pride forward and establishing something that no matter how well they do will never be ultimately established. But ultimately what they're driven by is a desire to see something occur beyond them. Really what you'll see here in the rest of the book of Acts, the rest of the passage is that Paul will do something through the church of, or God will do something through Paul's investment in the church of Ephesus that will continue far on after he departs. It wasn't about Paul and what he built and what he was a part of was something that went way on beyond him. And so his legacy only got larger as he took off. Uh, One of uh, the most influential professors for so many of us at Dallas Theological Seminary passed away about a week and a half ago. His name was Howard Hendricks. And I'll tell you guys, uh, no uh, professor probably has had more of a legacy and more of an impact upon that institution and upon those that would graduate than him. In fact, we all just called him prof. (laughs) We didn't even call him by his name. And there was only one prof that we referred to that way, and it was Howard Hendricks. And one of the things that really marked him for me was uh, a few things. One was this. He would say of his life that if there was one fight that he wanted to fight, one value that he wanted to push, it was this. That the greatest passion that our life should be about is knowing God and knowing his word. And so he spent uh, year after year teaching people uh, who were in ministry and people who were in churches to know the word of God and to love the word of God. If there was one class that was his hallmark and his trademark, if there was one thing that he wanted to put all of his eggs in a basket to fight, it was that. If there was one cause that he wanted to push, it was the cause that people would know the word of God and fall in love with Jesus Christ. The second thing he would say to so many of us was this, your legacy is marked not by what you do, but by who you leave behind. His words rang absolutely true as I was walking through Acts 20 this week, that our legacy is marked not by what we do, but by who we leave behind. And so he would say to us, show me your people. He'd say it over again, over again. I don't care how well you can explain the text of the word of God. I want you to show me your people. And that's what I'm going to ask you uh, the moment you finish ministry, the moment you finish a year after year, show me your people. The greatest legacy he realized that his life would have and our lives and your lives is not by what you do. It's not in your skills, but it is in who you leave behind. That you would invest yourself not in many, but in a few. And by investing in a few, you would have a legacy and an impact that would be far more long ranging, far more wide than anything you can do for the masses. The other thing I loved about him that he'd say is that uh, he was an incredibly humble man. He would say over and over again this, that the school of discipleship is not through with me. (laughs) He was pushing way, way into old age, and he would say over and over again that he was not a finished product. He was incredibly humble because he realized he hadn't been ultimately transformed to the image of Jesus Christ yet, and so he continued to press on toward that goal. He loved the word of God. He knew his legacy would last not in what he taught, but in those he left behind. And then thirdly, he was incredibly humble. And then fourthly and lastly, he was incredibly courageous. 
He had a view of the size of God that made him incredibly courageous. Your courage will always be rooted to the size of your God. You have a small God, you will not be courageous. You have a giant God and your courage will know no bounds. When cancer hit him and it grew in his, in his brain uh, internally to the place where he got all the way as close to his eyes so that he could still see and as close to his ears so that he could still hear, he realized how giant his God was. And when cancer came and knocking at a door, he didn't shrink back, but he pressed forward because he knew his God was big and he was courageous. The leaders that leave the largest legacies are those that set up successors, those that are humble, those that are courageous, and those that know which fight to fight. They know what is most valuable, not what's good, but what's best. So let me pray for us. And that's my hope for you guys as you guys move through Texas A&M, as you guys think of the impact that you're going to have here and the impact that you want to have as you take off. My hope is that you'll get a different picture of what a great leader looks like. It's not that picture that's marketed for us as we step out of here, but it's a picture that I think is marketed for us so greatly in Acts chapter 20. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for one whose legacy was marked far larger by his absence than by his presence. That in his crucifixion and in resulting resurrection, we found how great he was, how powerful he was, and how true his promises were. And Father, I pray even as we think about our lives, Lord, as we think about even our own relationship to leadership and what we think of it, Lord, I pray that you would recraft that idea for us. Especially for those of us who may not think we're leaders. They may not think that we have any influence to offer anything to have an impact with. Lord, I pray that you'd reshape that for us and that you'd help us to realize what a great impact we can have as we invest our lives in a few who will stay behind us even as we depart. Father, Lord, I pray that you would shape us, that you'd stretch us. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women whose character way exceeds our skill sets, whose character way exceeds what we're able to do or what we're able to say. Lord, I pray that we would be the kinds of people that have an incredible humility and consistency in our lives, whether people are watching and whether they're not. Father, may you shape us, may you transform us, and may you move us to be the kinds of men and women that would have the kind of impact that would be way larger when we leave than when we were here. Father, that's our heartbeat, that's our prayer, that's what we ask this morning, Lord. We ask for these things through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.